Thanks for downloading this episode of Cork Talk with me, Tim Atkin. A weekly conversation with some of the most famous people in the world of wine. This podcast is brought to you in partnership with Nomacork by Vinventions. Driven by a commitment to innovation, the new plant-based Nomacork Green Line offers significant improvements in wine closure performance. Thanks to a rigorous oxygen ingress rate, you can decide which cork is best for your wine, whether it's for young and fresh wines or for those with ageing potential. Hans Vinding Diers was born on a wine farm in South Africa, grew up in Bordeaux, has a Danish passport and now makes red wines in Patagonia. He's a classic citizen of the world, if you like. Listen to his chat about his winemaking father, Peter, his love of theatre, why Malbec is such an adaptable grape, the story behind Noemia, one of Argentina's most iconic brands, and how finding a stash of old bottles changed his life forever. Hi Hans, how are you? Hi Tim, how are you? I'm really well, lovely sunny day in London. Uh, you're in Patagonia in Mainke, presumably, are you? Yes, I'm, uh, I'm at, at, at the house, which is uh, at the winery really. Um, and uh, it's cold and rainy. Oh dear. Yeah. I, I mean, I've been there and seen the vineyard. I mean, you're right next to the vineyard, aren't you? This incredible historic vineyard that we'll talk about in a minute. Yeah, absolutely. I'm like, literally, the house is in the middle of the vineyard. So, I mean, we're like a, you know, a few footsteps away from the vineyard. It's, it, it's quite cool, actually, because you, you get up in the morning and the first thing you see is are the vines. Yeah. So Especially they're when they're that beautiful. I mean, they're lovely old vines, aren't they? Yeah, they really, they really are. They're, they're old. They're old vines. I mean, they're about six. Between sixty and ninety years old. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So. I mean, That's even older than I am. <laughs> <laughs> For sure, it's, it's it's quite incredible if you think about it, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm um, trying to work out how long we've known each other. I mean, you know, certainly since the late nineties, possibly before that, we met up in Uruguay the first time, didn't we? Yeah, possibly before that, you know. Yeah. Uh, it's funny getting Harold old. Heckel today puts posted something, and there's photos of you guys in in Hungary. In Uruguay, sorry, uh, in, in those days. Yeah, exactly. Hilarious. Yeah. Anyway, listen, I want to start by talking about your dad because, you know, you're right. a second-generation winemaker and your dad, Peter, he's just published a book, isn't he? You're a Viking in the vineyard because yeah. um, you're, you're, you're both Danes. I mean, your dad's quite a character. You know, he's had a big influence on the world of wine in South Africa, France, Hungary, Italy. I probably left something out. I just wonder what influence he's had on you. Are, are you two quite alike? I mean, he's had a huge influence on me, obviously. I mean, you know, I think as a second generation winemaker to be brought up in, in, in the wine world and especially being born, you know, in Stellenbosch, South Africa, which is, you know, the wine capital of South Africa and then moved to Bordeaux when I was about five years old and lived in St. Estef for quite a while, went to primary school in St. Estef. So, I mean, just just that already, you know, it's quite a, an influence, you know, especially after the, when I chose to go into the wine world. Mm. And yeah, I guess we are quite similar because I mean, he, he enjoys, he's a, a traveler, you know, and yeah. uh, so am I. And, and I think we, we have the same curiosity about things, you know, we like new things, we like to, to venture in, 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 uh, you know, uh, sort of unruly places and, you know, weird places. I mean, you've stayed put more than him. I mean, I know you still travel, but you put down roots in one place, whereas he did that, but he kept sort of moving, didn't he? Yeah, I think he he, he put uh, the anchor down 
for, you know, in, in different places, but for longer periods than I have. I, I think I've been traveling for 30 years nonstop, you know, and uh, which I've calmed down completely. You know, I'm, not, I'm not traveling so much anymore. Yeah. I, I mean, it's, I mean, look, look at you. you you've, you've been traveling for, what, 40 years now? Yeah, yeah. Maybe. Yeah. So, you know, I think you get, you get a little bit tired of traveling when, when, when you've traveled so much. Yeah, I think of, of hotel rooms and things like that, really. But yeah. I mean, you've met, it's interesting. You mentioned you were born on a wine estate, Rustenburg, yeah, in Stellenbosch, a great wine estate, where your dad was working there in 1969 when you were born. I just wonder, you know, what passport do you have? Because you're Danish, you were born in South Africa, brought up in Bordeaux, also went to school in England. How many passports have you got? I only have one, man. Uh, I only have one, uh, Danish, hmm. <laughs> which is, you know, I think in, in Denmark, you know, your passport goes uh, for, by your bloodline, not by where you're born. Oh, okay. um, but uh, I could have had a South African one. Uh, for some reason, I didn't get it. Uh, I, I didn't ask for it. But uh, Probably better, better off with a Danish one. Yeah, it's a Danish one. Um, and I don't really... <laughs> Sorry, speak. South Africans listening. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, it, I, I have great respect for South Africa. I love South Africa. Yeah. I mean, do, do, you, do, do you remember, you know anything about Rustenburg? I mean, you left when you were five, right, to go to Bordeaux, but was that, was, do you have an early memory of wine, of maybe helping your dad or being in a vineyard or being on the back of a truck, you know, looking at grapes coming in or something? Uh, well, you know, there's memories. There could be false memories, right? I mean, it's probably what you've been told at that age. Uh, but there are photos of, of me and my younger brother on tractors and bulldozers and, you know, in, in, in the middle of nowhere, and, you know, running around bare feet, you know. <laughs> Um, real significance and uh, <laughs> you know um, but then I went back you know I went back there in 90 in uh, 91 to go and work at Rustenburg yeah so that was pretty weird and, did, uh, did it sort of come flooding back do you think oh I've been here before I, d I don't know I really I don't know I can't remember really I don't know I mean, I read somewhere that, you know, obviously wine, you were born into wine, even though you're yeah. only second generation. Your dad's always drunk great wines and been a, a big kind of, you know, friend of wine with lots of people who was around him. But sure. I read somewhere you wanted to be a theatre director rather than a winemaker. Is that true? <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> it is. I used to write my plays when I was, plays when I was about 12, 12, 13. And I would actually, uh, uh, um, you know, uh, basically set the plays up at uh, Chateau Raoul, where we used to live in the Grave in Bordeaux. And uh, all the, my parents' friends would come for their parties, you know. They would come and watch my show. And, but, I mean, I mean, I'm talking about legends of the wine world. Anthony Bartons and Alex Lichines and all that, you know, watching my shows. And, and I, most of them don't, don't, haven't forgot them. So, so that, that was quite something. I was really, I liked that. But then uh, I have... On my father's side, they're all artists, so I have quite a bit of family in the in the in the film and you know, in, in that, that world or those worlds. In that, yeah. that world, and they all said to me, ah, "Don't don't get in there. We we don't recommend it. It's very bohemian, you know. It's you know whatever." So I thought, okay, and then I thought, well, you know, why don't I do what Dad does? You know, mm. he's got all the contacts, mm. you know, and I don't like studying very much. I've never been very academic. Mm. And I thought, oh, well, okay. You know, I'm going to ask that, you know, give me a job, man. And uh, he did. He, he got me a job in Australia. 
uh, to work with uh, Mary Tyrrell of Tyrrell's Vineyards. In, in, in the Hunter Park. Valley, yeah? Yeah, in the Hunter Valley. And I went there in 1986 to, as a seller hand, you know, that, that's when it all began. And, and that changed your mind? You thought, hey, this is pretty good. Yeah, I really started to enjoy it. You know, I, I, I was a lazy bum, you know, I wasn't very, you know, I was kind of a bit rebellious and, you know, all that. And um, the, the Aussies really taught me the art of work. You know, they taught me how to work and, and how to be proud of your work and stuff. And, and I really started to like it, you know. I really, I got a kick from it. And uh, I, then I really got the bug of, of winery, you know, vintage wineries. Mm. And, uh, and after that, I, I, every year I went back to my father to help him in France. And uh, and then in the in, in the winter I'll go to the southern hemisphere and do vintages. I did that for about thirty years. I mean, you've done way more vintages than than you've had years on yeah. the on the earth, haven't you? Because yeah, you, you've done a lot of times. You've done two all over the world. I mean, yeah, yeah well, absolutely. No, no, no. I, I, I've got about sixty vintages in my baggage. It's interesting the stuff you're saying that you know you're not a great student. You didn't study, as far as I know, enology. You're pretty right. much self-taught. You know, you, you. I mean, obviously, you, you've had mentors and you've had people who've influenced you. That's but do, do you think that's made a difference in a way? Not not being scientifically trained, it's made you look at wine in a slightly different way. I mean, maybe with this artistic background that you were talking about. Um, well, the thing is, I don't really know any better, so <laughs> it's a bit difficult for me to say. If, if it would have been different or not. But, but I think that I, I wasn't really, you know, I've always been the kind of guy that needs to understand things in, on my own terms, you know, mm. and, and I need to figure it out. So I'll go the hard way, you know, instead of the, mm. the, the easier way, which would have been to study or not. And, uh, and, and um, I think that this life training, if you want, the life university mm. was great for me. In my case, it worked, you know. And, and that apprenticeship you had really working in all these different countries and different wineries, but I've lost count of how many countries you've worked. I think it's 10, isn't it? Four continents. And you're still doing a bit of that. But the early days was much more kind of frenetic in a way, wasn't it? I mean, that apprenticeship really taught you, didn't it, how to make wine? Yeah, no, it did, for sure. I mean, it was, it was frantic. I mean, I would have like three wineries going on while uh, in, the, in, the, in the Northern Hemisphere and then another three wineries going on in three different countries, you know, each one of them. In, in the Southern Hemisphere. So it's a busy, busy boy. But um, but I really did learn. I also did a lot of reading, you know, my own reading. On the planes. <laughs> yeah. No, absolutely. I, I actually went to do some courses, you know, at Bordeaux University as well, you know, just to get a little bit of extra, you know, info. And uh, and and then I think the, the, the artistic side and the theatre side mm. uh, came out also in this because... It's very much like a theater. You know, you have a you have a troupe, you have a team, you have to you know you have to sort of manage the the people. You you have a show to put on the road. Mm. The, the wine business is very similar to the show business, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's a big show, and uh, you know. So I think I I kind of recognized myself in there. You know. So do you think good winemakers have to be performers in a way? Do you think? I think so. I think so because it's a. I, I strongly believe that winemaking is a, a form of expression. You know, mm-hmm. it's a way of expressing oneself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, it's just like music or, or you know any kind of art. I think is a form of expression mm-hmm. that uh, people can actually you know translate this these energies you know mm-hmm. in a different way. 
I mean, you, you first went to Argentina, where you are now and where you live, yeah. in 1998 to work as a consultant for Umberto Canale, a, a winery we, we both love in Patagonia, not so far from where you're sitting right now, really. I just wondered, you know, I, I, I have some memories of it. What, what was Argentina like then, you know, in 1998? And what sort of wines was it making? Did you arrive and think, ooh, <laughs> I'm not sure what I'm doing here? No, in fact, the contrary. Because, well, Argentina, first of all, hasn't really changed that much. <laughs> it's, it's still, we're still with high inflation and, and you know, all these kind of, uh, you know, very strange politics. But, you know, one learns to live with it and, and that's it. Um, but, uh, yeah, the wines, in when I arrived in 1998, uh, Guillermo Barsi of Umberto Canale, the oldest winery in Patagonia, um, you know, presented me with, with the wines that everybody drank, you know, the Santelmos and, you know, the Lopez. And, Crispy. <laughs> yeah. And they were kind of all oxidized and, you know, very strange wine, uh, very old-fashioned, rustic wines. And I thought, hey, I can do something here, you know. <laughs> well, and, I can improve these, right? Yeah, because I thought, ah, you know. The thing is, like, being brought up in Bordeaux and all that, you know, Bordeaux was, there was no availability, you know. All the wineries are, you know, they're busy, they're, they're occupied by these top winemakers and all that. So to have a future in Bordeaux was quite, you know, it was a little bit of a difficult. So I thought, you know, my quest was always to find some kind of, uh, you know, far west place. And you could just, you know, show my talents, you know, with, with no, with not that much competition. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that that was the that was what was going on in my head at the time. Yeah, and tell us a little bit about the climate and the terroir of the Rio Negro area you're in, because you're in Patagonia, but Patagonia is an yeah. enormous place, you know, that includes Chubut and obviously near Ken, near closer to you, and it's very different from Mendoza, isn't it? Just, just tell us what makes it unique to you. Oh well, it's it's actually a very unique place in the world, you know, in the entire world. I think uh, there's very few places like this in the world, uh, as far as I know. And um, it, well, the, the, the difference is that here it's, it's like a, a small oasis, really. You know, it's about 350 kilometers long, with 35 kilometers wide, in the middle of the desert. And it's irrigated by two uh, rivers. One is the Limay, one is the Neuquén River. And the Limay comes from these huge lakes that you've seen mm. up in the mountains that when you came last time, you saw them, mm. which are impressive. Mm. And, uh, and then the Neuquén is, a, is a, a glacier. So these two rivers join and form the Rio Negro that then throws itself into the, into the Atlantic. All this by gravity. No, no, there's no other. It's, it's all gravity, which is quite incredible because it, it, this, this, um, this uh, two rivers and the Rio Negro uh, go on a path of about a thousand kilometers towards the Atlantic, basically, yeah, flowing yeah, east. Yeah, yeah. yeah and yeah. all by gravity because it's, yeah. it's down slope. And it's quite low where you are, isn't it? It's about what two fifty meters, three hundred meters. Yeah, exactly. So we are very, we're not very high above sea level. We're mm. two hundred fifty meters, and so this place is all about the latitude mainly, you know, and also the desert ex exposition. So you know, you have huge thermal amplitude during mm. between night and day which means that we don't need to be in altitude. We're, Mendoza is all about altitude. Um, put it this way, we are a thousand kilometers um, southeast of Mendoza, right? And uh, so we are quite far away, first of all. 
and we are really in the plateau of Patagonia, you know, which really looks very much like you know, the tundra in Russia or whatever. Mm. And um, the quality of the water is mineral, mineral. The, the, the soils are quite poor. They're, they're alluvial riverbed soils, you know, loess, a lot of loess, clay, pebbles, gravel. Um, and uh, it's nothing really special, to be honest with you. Uh, I would call the area more a hydroclimatic place, uh, being that the, the quality of the water is exceptional. It's high, high in minerals. And of course, vines drink, don't they? They, they don't eat. <laughs> so this water, if it's irrigated into the, into the soils, uh, it's enough nutrient, gives enough nutrients to, to our vineyards. And also that minerality, mm. you know, that you can find in our wines. Mm. It is and, definitely, yeah. And also the climate is, is pristine. Uh, the, uh, there's maximum humidity, 30%. So we have very little disease, vine disease. So you can, it's almost, it's naturally organic. And, and you're breathing clean air every day. Oh, yeah, it's super yeah. clean, super clean. <laughs> it's pristine. It's a very pristine place. It's interesting when you're at Canali. I know you discovered this old stash of bottles, didn't it? What you were doing, looking for wines, something like that. And didn't you taste some old wines that was in the fifties and sixties and thought, oh, okay, maybe there is something here. I mean, was that what kind of started to change your mind about what had happened in the past that it wasn't all bad? Yeah, no, definitely. It it it, it absolutely changed everything for for me and and, and Noemi, my my ex business partner and, and partner. Um, Noemi Cinsano. And uh, we, so we opened these, these, these uh, very old bottles that are for bottling witness, you know, that they, they had just had you know, labels with codes and whatever. Um, and the wines were incredible. The, the color was, was beautiful in the reds, you know, beautiful color, very bright, vibrant. Uh, the fruit was still there. These wines were about 40 to 50 year old. Eh? I mean, this is really crazy stuff. And, um, the tannins were smooth. The acidity was fantastic. And I thought, well, okay, they're a little bit rustic, fine, because that was the winemaking in those days. But definitely, I felt the, I found the, I saw the potential to make fine wines because of those old wines. Right? Interesting. And and then you went looking for old vineyards, didn't you? I mean, exactly. I just wondered how how you found the vineyard that was to become Noemia or to produce Noemia. That's a one in a million, isn't it? I mean, how do you find a vineyard? Very difficult because, okay, in this area, in the in the fifties, let's say there were thirty thousand hectares in Rio Negro. And what are they now? Two thousand maximum, yeah. right? So it, it 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 was all abandoned and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. But there's still a few old vineyards lying around. And I started to look, and then, but it was kind of a, it was just endless, you know, one vineyard after another, and then. You know, I didn't get enough details. So I went to the INEV, which is the Instituto Nacional de Viticultura, which is like the, the police of the wine world, you know. And they have uh, the, the cadastral books, the, the books where you have all the, the names of each producer, you know, how many hectares do they have, the varietals, the year of the vines, the owners, everything. <laughs> A Bible of information. And so I went in there and, and I started looking for very old vineyards with single ownership, just in case one day I got lucky, I could buy it, you know? And, and that's how I found it. And so did you go and, and buy some grapes to start with? Didn't you? Yeah, sure, 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 sure. The, the owner is in a, was a, an Italian Don, 
you know, Italian origin, like most of the old owners over here. Uh, and he had a lot of land and he used to trade and, you know, a lot of land here and there. And so I went to him and I said, can I buy your grapes? Because the vineyard was like semi-abandoned. It was like a jungle. I mean, it was in a terrible state, but it was an amazing vineyard. I mean, he gave me the shivers when I, when I first saw it. Like, it was just, wow. I can't explain how or what scientifically, but it really gave me something very strong. It still does to people who come and visit us. Yeah, that, 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 to me, I, I love that vineyard. I, and I'm promising you I'm going to come and see you very soon. I've not been there for a while and I've got to I come back. I can't wait to come. I know. No, but, yeah, that, tell me, because, you know, you made this wine in 2001 with purchased grapes. Yeah. And, and you said that you got the shivers when you're in the vineyard. Did yeah. you know you'd got a special wine when you made that first one? Did you think, oh, this is actually pretty smart? I think so. Yeah. I'm not going to lie to you. <laughs> uh, I, I knew exactly what I was doing. Um, you know, in those days, it was, um, this was back in 2000, it was very much the garagiste movement, you, re you remember? Mm, in in Bordeaux, Bordeaux, yeah. You know, there was my cousin Peter Sisek with his pingus, and there was Jean-Luc Dunevin with his Valon and, and and all that. And I was very, very excited about what they were doing. Why? Because what they were doing, they actually were starting wineries or coming up with wines out of nowhere. And then they could make a living out of it, you know, mm. which was very difficult in those days. I mean, if you're not a first growth or a, if you didn't have a good backup, you know, to open a winery, you have to be, you know, a millionaire almost, you know. Mm. Mm. Um, as we all know, winery, winemaking is very expensive. Mm. Um, so, so I thought, hey, I could do that too, right? Mm. <laughs> and there we are. But then you went back and you bought you bought the vineyard, right? But by that time, you'd start to have some really great reviews. So did the price go up? Did the did the Italian Don say, oh, hello, Mr. Vinding Dears, I've doubled my price? No, he didn't. And I think he regretted that all his life. <laughs> but no, no, no. Uh, in fact, we wanted to buy it with Naomi. We wanted to buy it there and then um, after the first year. And he said, well, look, it's 2000, it was 2001. It was a big crisis in Argentina when, when everything was you know, bankrupt. And that land specifically was seized by the bank. It was embargoed by the bank. So he said to us, look, I'll give you this price. And whenever it gets free, whether it's in two months, three years, 30 years, I'll, I'll keep the same price. And we thought, okay, deal, right. So, so we, yeah. <laughs> so you got a very good deal. In 2004, it was released and we could buy it. Yeah. You, yeah fantastic. So th so what, three years later, basically? Three years later. Yeah. And, and and they're very old vines, aren't they? I mean, they go back to, what, 32? Or are some bits of it older than that? Yeah. 19, there were, the originals were planted in 1932. And there's yeah. about 70% about of the vineyard is still original. Yeah. Which is quite and, impressive. And, Tell, tell us about working with old vines. I mean, do, do they, I mean, obviously they have a particular character, but do you have yeah. to treat them differently in a way? Yeah. Um, old vines, generally, they, they, uh, they, I mean, especially if they're on their own rootstock, uh, it means that they're all genetically different, right? It's not a clonal system. So, so that, that already will, will uh, you know, that's, I, I find that the attraction to these, these, these plants. And secondly, if they've lived so long, they're obviously mutated and they are now Patagonian, right? Uh, so it means that they're really unique. 
um, if you planted them somewhere else, they would change again. So, and it won't necessarily mean that they would survive. So that's, that's one point. Then I think cultivating them, uh, there's not much difference between, you know, cultivating a clonal wine vineyard or, or an ancient one. No, I think you, what, what we do here, we work a lot on the soils. You know, we, 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 we use a lot of compost and cover crops and, you know, you have to help the vineyard. And you've also been biodynamic since 2008, I believe. I just wonder yeah. how, how, what difference has that made to the vineyard? Is that, can you notice the difference in the soils? Uh, yes. I mean, I think that uh, biodynamic is really, it's a philosophy, isn't it? I mean, after all, and, and our philosophy here is, it's very much, you know, what comes from the vineyard will make the wine, right? So, you know, we, we, we focus a lot on viticulture. And we, we are very, very... Uh, uh, fanatical about it so you know it's all it's like a Japanese garden here you know the vineyard mm -hmm. so the the biodynamics what what we found has done it, it helped in the transparency in the wines you know they're, they're a little bit more precise and and, and, and transparent um, yeah that's and do you I think the vineyard's healthier because of it yeah I mean the, the, yeah yeah because it's funny this the, the oldest vineyard uh, Noemia, uh, it, it looks healthier every year. <laughs> it's not getting older, it's getting younger, which is quite incredible, right? That's good to hear. Yeah, it is. It is. So uh, something something uh, we're doing is right, yeah? Yeah, no, it's, it's good so, to hear. I mean, you started off with this single wine, Noemia, from this vineyard, 1932. You now make three, don't you? So Alisa, J. Alberto, J. Alberto, as it's called in English, yeah. and then Noemia itself. Just tell us how they differ in terms of, of vineyard sources and style, because you've got three tiers, really, haven't you? Yeah, sure. Uh, well, Noemia, it's called Noemia as, because of Noemi, my, my, my ex-partner. Um, I wasn't going to call it Chateau Hands. <laughs> and, uh, and J. Alberto is, a, is a, another little, well, Noemia is a hectare and a half. It's very, very small. Only 6,000 bottles a year. Um, J. Alberto is on the other side of a canal, about, you know, 500, not even 500 meters from Noemia. Um, different soils. They're a little bit more drained. Noemia is a little bit more clay, which makes it a little bit more opulent. Um, and that vineyard was planted in 1955, four and a, four and a half hectares only, 15,000 bottles a year. Um, and then Alisa which is, uh, well, J. Alberto is named after Noemi's uh, parents, who, who, you know, it's an homage. And Alisa is an homage to my grandmother, my Danish grandmother, and he was a painter. And, and that's made with purchase grapes or not? Yeah, those, those are 40-year-old, 50-year-old vineyards that are around the, the Pueblo, the, the village, uh, on the four corners of the village, basically. And, uh, but what we're doing now, we, we got lucky uh, we could buy the neighboring property. So we, we bought 33 hectares of land. And so now we're going to start transplanting the village to our land, right? Ah. In order to keep, uh, in order to keep all this uh, genetic material because they're being ripped out, sadly. Yeah, yeah. We're down to 2,000 hectares, as you said, really. Yeah. Well, well the thing is, nobody wants to work vineyards. Uh, the, the kids have all gone to towns, to the cities, and then they tell their parents, you know, sell it. And 
because they get more money by selling it for you know uh, real estate than than uh, mm. working it. So so that's what we're doing. We try to save the the local uh, uh, genetic material, which is great. Yeah, I mean, yeah, just, no, yeah, just yeah. tell us a little bit. I mean, you know, I've I've watched you making wines over the years and tasted with you a lot. Just how you describe your your winemaking style. I mean, European does that cover it? I mean, is it is it more than that? I mean, just tell us how you describe it and how it's changed, really. Yeah, I, th- I guess my influences are European, definitely. You know, like you know, they, people always say that the first wine you drink in your life is the one that sticks to you, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and it was sent a step. So, so I think that 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 the elegance is something that stuck with me the, the whole way. Um, but I think today, I, I, I've, you know, first you start copying and then you start making wine because you have to survive, you know, so they have to be slightly uh, up to date, right? And, and satisfy people like you and, and, the, and the customers and, and, and a little bit, you know, what the society is all about in that moment. And, but I think now I'm in a sort of uh, uh, half giving and half selfish situation. <laughs> So I'm actually making wines that I like, right? That I like personally, and and then on the other side, I get a, a, a big kick in with my all my customers who enjoy the wines, right? So uh, it it really is. I don't think there's such a style. What we're just doing is is we're working very very hard in the vineyards, and then whatever comes out of that harvest, because climate or this and that, we would vinify it in in the most simple way possible. But try and respect, you know, uh, the, the fruit, you know, basically uh, that, that comes up from that year. That's that's all we're doing. And, and tell us a little bit about working with Malbec. I mean, Malbec has lots of different regional styles. I mean, a lot of people don't appreciate that, but it has a particular style, I think, in, in Patagonia, where you are. What's it like as a grape to work with? Do you like it? Oh, yeah, I love it. Absolutely. I love it. I mean, come on. It's very difficult not to like Malbec, right? I agree. Yeah. I mean, uh, the the... the the interesting thing about Malbec, it's very plastic. It's very adaptable. Um, like in the north, in Salta, for example, it's very spicy. Um, in Mendoza, it's robust, you know, and austere. In, in, in Patagonia, it's a little bit more elegant and harmonic. Uh, so it's interesting because it, the, Malbec is quite a transparent grape and it allows the area to be uh, recognized through the grape, right? So it is, we could say it is a terroir grape. Mm. Uh, it, it really it really behaves and reacts according to the terroir. So, you know, it's very interesting because I think nowadays in Argentina, you've got quite a good portfolio of all different types of Malbecs, right? So we can't really talk about Malbec being Malbec anymore. Right. I think it's, you know, that's outdated. Uh, I, I really think it's a varietal that, that's found its place, especially here in no You're almost saying who's Malbec and, and from where, right? Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah. I mean, I think we've come to the point now of which winery does that mm-hmm. Malbec, right? Yeah. I mean, tell us a little bit about what the consultancies you do, because you've stopped traveling as much as you were doing, certainly, you know, 20, 30 years ago. But you're still consulting a couple of wineries in Argentina and one I know of in, in Uruguay. I mean, how do you choose them? Do they choose you or do you choose them? And I also wondered how diplomatic you have to be when you go into a place for the first time and you think, oh, dear. <laughs> well, usually, usually, Tim, they call me, right? They call me up yeah. and they say, hey, 
would you be interested? And then I would go yes or no. Um, yeah. And uh, well, today I've got one winery in Neuquén province, Usmalma, and then I got another one in Uruguay. Very interesting project in, in Jose Ignacio, uh, making doing some white, amazing whites and rosés. You know, very fun. Um, and diplomacy is fundamental. <laughs> you have to be diplomatic. I mean, most of the time, there's an, there's a resident winemaker, right? Mm. And and you can't just walk in and, and, and trample all over them. And you know, it is very much uh, a job of high diplomacy. Uh, and, and you know, you have to be quite skillful at that. Yeah, I think that it would it would defeat me. I'll tell you that much. Uh, it's not for everybody. I know exactly. It's not for everybody. Is there anywhere in the world where you've not made wine yet, you've not made wine yet, that, that you'd like to? I mean, maybe a place that's a new frontier, you know, I don't know, Norway, Denmark even, you know, oh, back to Denmark. No, please. <laughs> Denmark. Well, you know, with all the calcareous soil they have and the, and the newborn sun, who knows? But no, no. To be honest, Tim, I think I've anchored in Patagonia and I'm very, very happy with, with, with Noemia's project and you know, I, I, I'm actually, I've, I've done my share of scouting, yeah. I think. So to be honest with you, I, I, what, I, what I really do enjoy is drinking wines from different places. That, that yes, you know, I'm a, I'm a crazy fan about, you know, the whites of, of the Chanel of, uh, that they make in South Africa, you know, the Alhites, the Willinus, the Sadis, the Bach. I'm absolutely nuts about them. And then I taste a lot of wine from all over the world. You know, I'm very, uh, I keep myself busy with that. How do you see the potential of, of southern Patagonia, so further south from where you are, down in Chubut? Do you think that's got, that's got potential? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, I definitely think it has future, you know, especially with, with all the climate change, you know. I, I think it's just getting warmer and warmer, as we know. Um, so the further south, uh, in the in the in the southern hemisphere, it's probably better. You know? mm. um, I think I think it, it's still early days, but definitely I, I could see potential. Absolutely, yeah. Let's talk a bit more about Argentina in general, not just about Patagonia. You once told an interview fairly recently that Argentina is the only country that could have grown so much or evolved so much in such a space, short, short space of time. What have been the biggest changes you've seen since you arrived as a very young man, you know, in, in 1998 to where you are now. And what, what's the future hold? Well, I mean, I, I think in those days, well, there was two crowds, you know, there was uh, Catena, for example, who were making kind of uh, uh, international wines, right? Uh, and then there was the, the, the rest that was this oxidized stuff. Uh, today, and in those days, it was really all about analogy, wasn't it? It's all about analogy. Today, it's about viticulture. And I think that's the big difference that, that, that's happened over the years. And now, nowadays, they think, they study the place before they plant, instead of planting just because they have to plant, right? So I think, I think there's been enormous progress uh, in, in that field. And uh, I really, I'm, I'm very impressed. I think they're doing an amazing job. Absolutely. And is there less influence from, from outsiders? I mean, a lot of what happened in the 90s was people like Michel Roland and Paul Hobbs and, and, and you later on, sure. uh, among, you know, amongst others, uh, Alberto Antonini, coming in from outside and telling the Argentinians, in some cases, rightly, how they could improve their wines. Is, is there still a role for that, do you think, or not? 
they definitely had its time, absolutely, and its influence, without a doubt, right? Because they actually showed them, you know, that this is not a bad place. You can do great wines here, where, where previously they weren't. Um, I think today that's kind of, you know, a little bit, you know, I don't think it's so much, uh, such. it doesn't have such an influence today. No. Yeah. But talking of influences, I just wondered who's had an influence on you. I mean, we talked about your dad at the beginning, but, you know, you've met with lots of famous winemakers. You've even worked with some of them as well. It, it, are there two or three yeah. people who, who, you know, put a, a stamp on hands, as it were? Not stamped on hands, but put a stamp on hands. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah sure. I mean, aside from my parents, who, who really, really gave me a fabulous you know, upbringing, very lucky upbringing. You know, imagine that, like, drinking Palmea and all that all the time. Hello. <laughs> but um, <laughs> my cousin, Peter, Peter Sisek, has been a great, great uh, uh, influence on me. Like, my father is his uh, mogul and uh, Peter is my mogul. So <laughs> okay. it's, it's funny. It stays in the family. Yeah. And, um, and then I guess that, that I'm more, not so much, well, I think Murray Tyrrell, honestly, really, he was the one who, who made me enjoy wine working, you know. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm mainly uh, a fan of some particular chateaus, you know, some particular mm. wineries that that really influence. Like Palmer, you've talked about, and some. And well, also... well, but I think today I'm like Ozon is mm. definitely one of them. Then I, I, I really, well, I'm very, especially today at this time in my life, I'm very, very uh, passionate about what Lalou Leroy has done and is doing. Uh, because I, I I think very similar to that, you know. I, I actually in Burgundy, love yeah. I actually yeah. love them. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I could afford them. They're too expensive for me now. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, if, if you, she said the same, if you if you love your vineyards, they'll love you back. But then they really yeah. demand a lot of work, don't they? <laughs> <laughs> so does she. Yeah. yeah. Listen, final question. I mean, you lead this busy life. You know, you've got a young family. You're running Nomia. You're doing your consultancies. Couple of consultancies. Do you have time for anything else? I, I know you used to be a bit of a surfer. Uh, are you yeah. still surfing? Well, I mind surf nowadays. <laughs> um, no, I don't, to be honest, I don't have time. I mean, two consultancies in two countries, a winery, a little young family, you know. it's. I don't have time, but again, it's my life. I, I love it. It's, it's, well, I don't need a hobby. It is my hobby, right? Yeah. And it's also your passion, isn't it? It is absolutely. It's my passion. It, but I think I think if you want to make a wine like Noemia, you have to live it, right? You have to live yeah. it. It has to be your life. Otherwise, I don't think you get you get to that level if you don't uh, if you're not 100 percent immersed into it. Yeah, because because it's such an intense relationship with the vineyard, isn't it? It's very intense. It's very very intense. And and you know, I mean, you might think I'm crazy, but I actually look at my vineyards and talk to them, and 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 they actually. They actually, if you if you really observe your vineyards, they answer back. <laughs> I love that idea. If you talk to the vineyards, they'll answer back. Brilliant, isn't it? That old saying: if you talk to a tree, it'll grow. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. I think it was Glenda Jackson who said she kept talking to her plants, the actress, and saying they're not growing. And I say to her, "Come on, you bastards, grow!" <laughs> so I think the point is, you've got to talk to your trees, plants, in a nice uh, way, right? Maybe not "Come on, you bastards, grow." That's something. No. No, but it's all about good energies, isn't it? Yeah. Anyway, Hans, it's been a pleasure talking to you uh, and sharing your sense of humour, your knowledge, your passion for wine. Uh, and I hope I'll see you very soon, either in Argentina or, or maybe in London, if you're travelling this way again. Thank you so much 
uh, well, for being such a great time. Thank you, Tim, for the invite. Thank you so much. Thank you, my friend. I really like the idea that if you love wine, you don't need a hobby. Next week on Cork Talk, my guest is the Australian winemaker, master of wine, Kim Milne. Join me then. Thanks for listening to Cork Talk. If you want to read more reports, articles and tasting notes by me, go to my website, timatkin.com. You can also follow me on Twitter, at Tim Atkin, and on Instagram, at Tim Atkin MW. See you next week.